Thank you, worship team. You guys do a great job. Yeah. It is so good to be with you here today. Christian Faith Fellowship, welcome. Anybody online joining us, it's good to have you as well. Boy, uh, not Pastor Dave, in case you wondered. Uh, probably didn't, but that's okay. Um, so, PD's a little injured right now. Yeah, he um, actually has a herniated disc in his back. So, so um, I can neither confirm nor deny why this might have happened. Possibly, uh, I've heard someone say it, mostly me, that it was actually happened during the football game last week where his Lions were playing the San Francisco 49ers. His Lions did so wonderful the first half and he was so excited. And then the historical Lions showed up in the second half and collapsed like a ball of flaming dung. But... <laughs> In the middle of this, I I'm, I'm, I'm can neither confirm nor deny that this happened, but I'm pretty sure that what happened was he went, oh, and then it cascaded down his spine until he got a herniated disc, and now he's been laid out. <laughs> of course, the only true part of that is the poor man is an injured ping, and uh, be praying for him, please. This, this, he, needs, he needs some comfort here. I mean, laying on, sleeping on the floor of your... <laughs> living room is not ideal. So be praying for Pastor Dave and Kim. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting that, you know, he, he preaches last week about suffering and now he gets to experience it firsthand. I don't think that's the way that's supposed to work, but, you know, God has a sense of humor too, I guess, you know. Uh, all right. What I'd like to bring to us this morning is I think timely, in the sense that in our society now, one of the, I don't know if that was me, I don't think it was, uh, one of the largest things that we deal with is worry and anxiety. Would you agree? Do you know that a study was done in 2019, so this is even before coronavirus hit, even before then, they said uh, as many as 40 million, million people deal with worry and anxiety. Which means it might be you. And if it's not you, it's probably your neighbor. We all deal with this stress that has to do with worry and anxiety. And I'd like us to look this morning at a passage of scripture that is says something about it. Um, throughout your Bible, if you, have, if you have a Bible that you've been reading regularly, especially if it's a paper Bible, you notice in the New Testament, you'll get to sections of scripture and you'll see what? Red letters, right? Do you ever see that? Yeah. The red letter messages that are in there? Uh, what, what does the red letters mean? Jesus spoke it. So what we're going to look at this morning is something that Jesus specifically had to say. This is a passage that comes from what is called the Sermon on the Mount. So basically, Jesus got together his disciples and, and the multitudes that were following, sat on the side of a hill and told them what to understand. And he had something to say about worry. I mean, we're, we're all facing things. I mean, my goodness. Today, if you're not worried about something, then I don't know, maybe you're not paying attention. No, I, maybe we need to look at it a little differently. Because I mean, there's wars out there, of course, 
There's political nonsense in our country, yeah. There's maybe family issues that you have. Maybe you have work situations. No matter what, we're all faced with things that can cause anxiety and can cause worry. However, what Jesus has to say about it is for us. So I'd like to encourage you to come with me on a little journey as we look at what Jesus had to say, and let's see how he would have us deal with worry, okay? All right, so this is from uh, Matthew chapter 6. Of course, it probably would be better if I turn on my little thing here and be able to click through. So, is that me? I don't know how it's me. No? Now I'm on? Are we having fun yet? <laughs> okay, stand very still, Pastor. I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of Italian at soul. I don't think I can talk without moving. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, well, we'll give it a shot here and see what happens. All right, so let's, uh, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here from Matthew uh, chapter 6, for, starting at verse 25, working to 34. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Uh, look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You want to give me a handout? What is it? You want to swap it? Okay, we'll just turn it off. We'll just go with this one. I think you can hear this one. All right, so now i got to multitask. <laughs> so if I keep going this way, is it going <laughs> to... Just playing. Yeah, don't slip a disc, please. Jeez, poor PD. All right, so back to where we were. Um, are you not much more valuable than they? Uh, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about, the clo uh, about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Sorry, I should have gone ahead a little bit there. There you go. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, whoop, I think I went past one. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, there's an important change here, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, we just thank you for your words, your words that were first for your disciples here on this earth, and now are for your disciples here in this place. And we simply ask that as we hear this message, as we hear what you have to say for us, that we can take it, internalize it, and maybe leave different than when we came, that we can live free from worry. And Lord, 
Speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, have free reign in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what is worry? I, I think it's important for us to determine what worry is and maybe by determining what worry is not. Because maybe we call certain things worry that aren't worry, right? So I would say worry is not being proactive, like seeing a problem and making a plan to do something about it. That's not worry, right? So we can take that one off the table. But what is worry? Worry is either consciously or unconsciously trying to control something that we have no ability to control. Would you agree? That is the essence of what worry is. Now, do you notice in this passage of scripture we just looked at here that that Jesus didn't, he told us just don't do it. Okay, all right, I guess we're done. Have a good day, (laughs) said you on your way. Well, we probably need to dig in a little bit deeper because how do you not worry? We're We're all dealing with all of this stress. So worry itself, worry is living with your heart in the future instead of in the present. Do you notice how that was what he said today? You could only have the bandwidth to deal with today. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Deal with now, you know? So if we're constantly looking to the future for trying to control things we have no control over, then, then constantly we're living in a place of anxiety and worry. Have you experienced that? I know I have. See, only God lives in the past, the present, and the future simultaneously because it's all his present. Have you ever thought about that? Because God created time. All of time is sitting in the palm of his hands and goes, whoop, there's time. I hold it. So our past is his present. Our future is his present. Our present is his present. You notice when God described himself when he was talking to Moses... He, he didn't say, I was or I will be. He says, I am. Always and always will be, I am. So whenever we're trying to live in a place that we, I don't know about you, but my time machine is kind of broken. My flux capacitor doesn't work. And I don't have the capability of traveling back or forward in time, which is good because I probably would just erase myself accidentally. You're welcome. But when it comes to how we live, how often is it that we pretend like we should be able to? That's how we live in this worry, and it's a problem. Maybe if you're, if you're trying to control others or constantly feeling stressed about, about what's to come, you're living controlled by worry and anxiety. And so I'd like to to live in a place of challenge as Jesus told us, yeah, don't do that. Why? Why did he tell us that? How, how do we live that? See, we have a, maybe a misperception in our society that if we don't worry about something, we don't care about it. Is that true? But that's how we live. Like, like if I'm not actually angsting about something, if I'm not actually you know, disrupted about it, do I even care about that thing? Yeah, but see, the problem is we have a misconception about what it means, what worry does for us or does not do for us. So let's take a look this morning at the effects 
of worry. All right, so what is the problem with worry or anxiety? Do you know that worry affects us physiologically? I'm not kidding, there have been thousands of studies where they're actually trying to, you know, prescribe you some medication to fix it, of course, but, you know, there's thousands of studies that talk about the physiological effects of anxiety and worry. There are all sorts of them, increased blood pressure. Did you know that? When you worry, your blood pressure goes up? So if you're dealing with hypertension, that's not a good thing. I mean, do you know that there's actually a release of hormones in your body that is the flight or fight or flight hormones that actually spike your blood sugar. So if you're dealing with maybe type two diabetes, not such a great thing for you either. Not really a great thing for any of us. But when we're dealing with the dump of cortisol that happens, which is the stress hormone in our body, you know what that does? It stores fat. So, I don't know, maybe that's a thing for some of us. So I'm just saying, if you're, well, so if you're noticing weight gain, you, you, maybe you're affected because of how much you're worrying on things. It can affect us physiologically like this. <laughs> it does. So uh, muscle tension, have you ever experienced muscle tension? Maybe it starts in your shoulders, then it goes in the back of your neck, and then it normally goes to create a headache. You ever got that? Stress headache, tension headache? Huh. Worry and anxiety can do some pretty nasty things to us body-wise. Maybe you're uh, having some stomach issues, get the bubble guts. Just saying, it affects us physiologically, and yet we act like it's just not a thing. Or like the, the problem, the symptoms are actually the problem and not the issue. So when we're dealing with worry, and Jesus just tells us, don't worry, okay, how? What do we do with this? See, the point is that it does affect us physiologically. It also, maybe more importantly, see, physiologically, I think that's the symptom. The problem is actually that it affects us spiritually. See, worry is actually a spiritual issue. It has everything to do with our trust of God. See, there's a direct relationship between worry and our trust in God. Think of it like, like a pendulum you know, swinging, you have like a, a, a string that's held to like a, I don't know, a bowling ball or something. And it swings this way, and now we're in trust. We're living in trust of God. And when we're trusting God, we, we're not worrying about things because we trust that he's taking care of us. But if it swings the other direction, and we're here worrying about things, we don't trust God very much, do we? So my encouragement for us today is to in, recognize that worry is actually the antithesis of what we need to do. It is the wrong end of the pendulum. We need to be swinging this thing to and then cut the cord that live here in trust. Because trust is the only place as we surrender trust and obey that we can live in peace and live above worry. So where's your trust? I think the problem is that it has to do with a, a, a concept that is called the gaze and the glance concept. Have you ever heard this before? Maybe not. Let me just kind of map it out for us here. The gaze in the glance concept is this. Whatever you, whatever you gaze at becomes large in your view. Whatever you glance at becomes small. So if we have a problem in front of us and we gaze at our problem and we're, our focus is on this thing, then our problem seems pretty huge. 
As we're looking at this and saying, oh my goodness, how am I going to fix this? This, I can't, this is all so large. And we kind of glance at God and say, God, do you see my problem? Do you see how big this is? This is so big. My problem, it's so big. That's where we live. And we're so overwhelmed by the problem in front of us. But the problem is that our gaze is in the wrong place. Because our gaze doesn't belong on our problems. Our gaze belongs on God. And when we do, we see him for who he is. And suddenly the Lord of the universe, the one that spoke into existence all that has ever been and all that ever will be, the God of creation is the God that we focus on. And he is so much bigger than any sort of problem that we get glance at. It's God, you are amazing. I have a problem, but you are big enough. Where's your gaze and where's your glance? If we're living in worry and anxiety, my guess is that your gaze is probably on the problem in front of you instead of the God who is the lover of your soul. Am I right? See, the thing is that God wants us to realize that he is big enough to carry us in the middle of the biggest struggle that we deal with. He is enough always. And it doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter the amount of stress that we feel when we pay attention to it. If we rest in him, we will have enough because he is the source. He is the strength. I think the other spiritual problem when it comes to, um, when it comes to worry in general, if we're talking about how worry has a spiritual effect to it, one of the reasons it does is because in a lot of ways it goes against the very first commandment that exists. If you think about the Ten Commandments, Moses came down from the mountain, he brought the, the tablet of the Ten Commandments, the very first one is probably the most important, wouldn't you think? And he says, I'm the Lord your God, you will have no other gods before me. Well, pastor, what does that have to do with this? Well, I think far too frequently we set ourselves up as the small g God that wants to control our world. And we say, yeah, no, I got this one. We have no power to do anything about it. The problem is we're living in this place where we're expecting to maybe be able to control something that we have no control over in the first place. It's almost like playing dress up. No, I'm not a princess today. <laughs> uh, but it's no more nonsensical than pretending we're God. Because the problem is that we have no ability to control, and yet we're living in the place where we feel like we should, which only hurts us, and it hurts our relationship with him. Because we're establishing ourselves as being someone that is above him. So I'd like to encourage us to see the way it spiritually affects us and to do something about it. It's one of the main reasons that Jesus said, do not worry. He starts off in verse 25, and he tells us actually throughout this passage at least six times explicitly in about seven or eight, maybe nine times implied. He says, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Okay, fine. Don't worry. But how do you not worry? What do you do? Right? The problem is that worry damages us. Worry does nothing about our circumstance, but it does a lot 
to hurt us. That's all the physiological and spiritual things we were just talking about, right? Worry has an effect on us that damages us. So when he's telling us not to worry, he's not telling us to not do something that is good. He's telling us to avoid something that hurts. Think of it like this. Any of you that have had kids, you've had toddlers at one point or another, right? And, and the toddlers, your, your, parent, your job as a parent is just to keep them alive every day, right? It, because they try to kill themselves nonstop. And, and I, I remember one time when my son was young and, and, he, and just, just starting to walk and he's walking around and there's a hot stove and he's like, hot, hot. And like, no, no, don't touch that. It's going to hurt you. Hot, hot, no. But that's us. Jesus is saying, it's hot, don't touch it. And we're going, hot, <laughs> worry. You know, it's it. We're, we're missing the point that he's trying to keep us from something that hurts, that damages us. His love for us is for our benefit. He's not trying to keep us from something good. He's trying to protect us from something that will pain. People, we live in this place where we destroy ourselves and then we go, why am I hurting? that's not directed to you. That's directed to me because I do it all the time. I look back at myself and say, well, that was dumb. But that's where we live. Oh, see, the problem is we got to fix in our mind this whole concept of God's care for us. So, the thing we need to understand here, if we look at it a little bit farther on here uh, in verse 26 here, you know, it says, uh, look at the birds of the, the air. Don't, don't you think God cares about you more than them? But maybe in the back of your mind, you're like, no, Jesus cares more about birds than he cares about me. Nope. You know how I know? He didn't die for the birds. Jesus, the, the Bible tells us that while we were yet his enemies, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to demonstrate his love for you, to demonstrate your value to him. He laid down his life. Oh, can you see your value to God? He cares about you. You are valuable to God. And you need to realize this. You need to start living like that's true. Because I think the problem is that we either believe God is not good or that he's not God. And the problem is that he's both. He's both God and he is good and he loves you desperately. Which means that what he has for you is for your best. Not to keep you from something that is good. Hmm. Oh, I'm telling you. So when you realize your value to God, your trust in his hand changes. Remember how we talked about that pendulum between trust and worry. When you start to realize how much God values you, you can live here in trust. Because you know that what he has for you is better than what you would have for yourself. My friends, don't miss this opportunity. God loves you. He loves us all. He is desperately wanting to show you how important you are to him. 
In fact, it continues on. In verse 27, there's an interesting statement that Jesus makes. He says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your day? So I'm just curious, how many people have worried and it made a good difference? Not a hand? Not one of us? No, not mine either. Um, Not at all. Why do we do it then? It has no effect that is positive, yet we do it all the time like it should make a difference. I mean, it's the same thing. We're living in this place of expecting, it's like living out insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's where we're at. Maybe if I worry harder. No, it only hurts us. It damages us. Worry accomplishes nothing but personal damage. So Jesus did an interesting thing here as he's preaching this through. He's telling us, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. But, okay, that but changes things. So now what's going to happen after that but? He tells us what to do. He says, the first thing you need to do is to seek his kingdom. To seek the kingdom of God. Now, this is a great idea. It's a wonderful concept, except that what is the kingdom of God? And I'm sure this was a little bit confusing to his disciples that were there immediately, as much as it is to us today. Is the kingdom of God something that is to come? Is it heaven? Is that the kingdom of God that we should be looking for? Well, no, not just. Yes and no. Yes, it is that, but it's not only that. Because the kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is here because the spirit of God is here. Which means the kingdom of God began at the moment of Pentecost when the spirit descended upon the disciples of God and they were in power, turned loose to start building out exactly what God had for them as a mission. And when he told them, go into all the earth and make disciples, that was the mission he gave them. And he empowered them to do so by his Holy Spirit. Which means if we're seeking God's kingdom, we're not only looking for the future and as in looking for eternity, we're also looking for what God wants to do right now. It starts here in my heart. It starts here in yours. When God says something to you, hey, let's do something here. Do you surrender, trust, obey, and say yes? Because that's, if you're going to live out kingdom, that's what it takes. Kingdom is perpetual surrender, trust, obey. That's it. You want to live out kingdom? Then live here. Because that's what it looks like. Then we're perpetually in a place willing to take the steps in front of us to live out what he asks us to do in his purpose for his plan. So seeking first his kingdom is seeking first submission to what he asks. In our hearts, in our families, in our workplace, in our world. Are you willing to take those steps of surrender, trust, and obey? See, the thing is, when you take on the name of Jesus, when you say, I'm a Christian, I'm someone who has submitted his life to Christ, that means you take his name. It means you become a child of the king. He bought you out of slavery from sin. He bought you out of that slave market, redeemed us, 
But he didn't buy us out of slavery to become a slave. He bought us out of slavery to become a kid. That makes no sense. That's upside down. But God made us family. Where Paul says, we now can say, Abba, Father, Daddy. Man, do you realize that you are a child of the king? Why don't we live in that authority and start living out the purpose that is as a representative of God in my world, maybe I need to step out and be willing to follow what he asks. That is living out kingdom. So seek first his kingdom is to live in his power with his purpose. The second thing he asks us to do is to seek his righteousness first. Now, righteousness is an interesting concept, and I think, again, we get a little bit confused about what it means. When I say righteousness, does the first thing that hits your mind, doing all the right things. Because a lot of times we think of righteousness as, as right living. Doing all these, yep, yep, I did that, check, I did that, check, I did that, check, I'm righteous. Righteousness has a lot more to do with relationship first. I'm not saying it doesn't have to do with action, I'm saying action is determined by relationship. Which means as we correctly get our relationship with God in a proper alignment, our life changes by action because of that motivation. Which means when we're seeking righteousness, the first thing we're seeking is a proper relationship with God. Now, what does that mean? The first thing that's important in a proper relationship with God is to realize that he and I we're not the same. Not even in the same ballpark. Barely on the same planet. In fact, I'm probably under the ocean somewhere. It's, it's so confusing that we treat God like this relationship with him should be some sort of peer relationship. Because God is my friend. Yes, he is a friend to me. However, God is way more than just a friend. God is God, my heavenly father. And until I get the father-son dynamic figured out, that realize that I'm proper submission to him, and he is God, and I am not, until that is fixed, everything else is broken. It has to be first. If you want to live out righteousness, then it's properly establishing that God is God. I'm his child. Because I love him and he loves me, I'm now enabled to love everybody else. The vertical has to create the horizontal. We have to live in proper relationship with the God of the universe, understanding who he is and who we are in comparison to be turned loose to live out our world. So seeking righteousness is about seeking proper relationship that then can live out in the power of the Holy Spirit what he asks us to do. Mm. All right, so the next part of this section when Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, this next line is troubling. He says, and all these things will be given to you as well, will be added. Now, in context, what things is he talking about? He's talking about food and clothing, you know, the needs of life, right? 
is, is God talking about that as long as we seek after him, then everything we desire in this world will be given to us? You know, I would love to preach that message. Oh, I would really like to do it. But I would be lying to you bold-faced. Because it's not true that God isn't promising to give us everything that makes our life easy. He's never promised us comfort. He promised us him. Which means no matter what we go through, he promises to be with us. And if we're going to understand this passage in proper context, then we need to look back to understand the perspective that Jesus is talking to you. And what I mean there is if you look in verse 25, 25 is the beginning of where we started. The very first word in the passage says what? Maybe you didn't see it. It says, therefore. Now, to understand proper exegesis of scripture, that's a big word that just means you're trying to understand what scripture says. Uh, if you're gonna do it well, then anytime you see a therefore, you better find out what it's there for. Lesson number one, y'all just entered Bible school. You're welcome. So anytime you find a therefore, you better find out what it's there for. Because a therefore is always the culmination of an argument. It is building upon what has come before, and it's only in the context of what comes before that now what is being talked about can be understood, right? So what is the therefore when Jesus is talking about all this? What happened just before this? What he just talked about leading into this passage was storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. So in the perspective of eternity as part of our now, and eternity is both what we look forward to and what we live, that is the perspective of this lack of worry. So if we're going to understand it correctly, it's not about the temporal. It's about the forever. So if we're going to live in proper context to this worry concept, we need to have a, a mind that says that now is not everything, but it is also now. And God, you are big enough both for the now and for the forever. Do you see the difference? So when God says all these things will be given to you, it's you will have every single thing you need to do exactly what I've asked you to do in the moment I've asked you to do it. Now that might not sound hopeful, but my gosh it is. Because we are not ever alone. Do you find hope in that? It may not be what we want, but it's always what we need. Hmm. All right, so the God is the source to provide your need. So as we focus on our relationship with God and joining him where he asks us to be, he provides our needs. All right, so does that mean that we won't suffer then? I mean, the problem is that I look too frequently in society, and, and sadly, it's actually taught from, from pulpits that you should be able to live a comfortable life because you're Jesus' kid. But he didn't promise that. In fact, he told us that you're going to suffer because of me, that because of my name, you're going to actually face persecution and trials. 
and tribulations. And then James goes so far, I want to kick him sometimes, but James went so far as to say, count it pure joy. And I'm like, slap yourself, James. But it's true. There's a reason why it's joy. The joy is because the presence of God transforms everything. So we can live in the presence of God and have hope in our future that he is going to use the circumstances of our life to first bring us closer to him. Paul said, we know in all things God works together for good of those who trust him who are called according to his purpose. That good that happens is not our circumstance. That good is him. You want to experience the good of God, then find God in the middle of the good. Mm. And find him in the middle of the pain. All right. I don't want to belabor this too much. So our perspective of understanding this passage has to be shaped by contextually what is here. Um, So Jesus told us that our focus is first the kingdom and righteousness. So first our proper relationship with God and then living out the kingdom life that he has called us to. And then all these things will be taken care of. All right, so it doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. All these things are true. So Romans 8, 18 even said it. He says, uh, yet when we, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Wow. So we know it's going to happen, and yet we can live in the trust that he is enough. See, the truth is, we'll go on a little bit farther here. If we go on to verse 34, he tells us something very true. He says that we only have bandwidth to deal with the moment, not the future. So we need to live in the present. So if we look very specifically at at that verse 34, it says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we need to find the presence of God in the moment instead of being looking for what is to come. Because we only have the bandwidth to do with now. So that's a challenge for us then. We need to... We don't let the fears of tomorrow make the decisions for today. Because we can't. Because if we're doing that, then we're living in worry. We're living in fear. We're living outside of the presence of God and outside of the presence of, his, of trust. We're, we're not living on this trust pendulum. We're living over in the worry side. So it's, if we're going to live in trust, then we have to trust that he's got tomorrow and I don't need to worry about it. I can live in the middle of the moment. So what do we do with anxiety then? Because Jesus didn't tell us, oh, by the way, if you're worried and anxious, here's how you fix it. He didn't. But that doesn't mean he he didn't ever teach about it. It just means that we don't see it in Scripture specifically where he taught about it. Not from him. However, if we look very specifically, Jesus had three disciples that were his closest disciples, the ones that he spent the most time with. That's Peter, James, and John, right? So Peter is one of these disciples, and in his letter, he spoke of this concept almost to piggyback on what Jesus had to say to expound upon the question we're asking right now as to what do you do with worry? What do we do with it when we're experiencing worry and fear? How do we fix this? Now, I think it's important for us to not look at Scripture in bumper sticker slogans. And I say that because we all do it. We want to pull out the little feel-good feelings and say, I think it's so great. 
you know, when, when Peter in this next section tells us to cast all our, 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 I can't even speak, cast all our anxiety on Jesus because he cares for us. It's true. However, that's not the end. But that's the only thing you probably have heard before. So I'd like to look at this passage with you and we can see the purpose of what Peter is trying to teach us about worry and what to do about it tells us this, to cast all our anxiety on him, Jesus, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, now I'm worried. Okay. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Oh, I went one too far. Stop jumping. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Do you hear that? So here's the, here's the, the premise of what, what Peter had to say. And I don't know if you gathered this or not just in reading it, but I'd like to help us think about it for a minute. Because he said, one, there was a solution of what to do about worry, but then he also told us the result of if we don't deal with this. Did you gather that? He told us that if we don't deal with worry, then our enemy, Satan, is going to use this worry to destroy us. And he described him like a lion who hunts. Now, a lion hunts, lionesses are mostly often the ones that hunt. They hunt by having a herd of animals. They find the weak one, and then they kind of herd it away from the rest of them, get them all alone so that they can kill and eat and have fat, happy lions. So, I mean, that's the way it works. But when we look at this for us, when we look at the way that we're living now, what he's telling us is that Anxiety and, and um, worry actually make us susceptible to being picked off from the herd and isolated so that we can be attacked. Do you know that God will, or not God, Satan specifically will use worry in your life to isolate you from God and to tell you that you can't do it and that you should probably try to control that yourself. And he will use that to make you weak, out of the battle, done, finished. That is the point. It's a ploy. Don't fall for it. That's Peter's point here. He's saying, that's what your enemy wants to accomplish, but here's how you deal with it. What's the first section of that, the first verse of that say? It says, to cast all your cares on Jesus. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So what is this? What is this? Can I cast something if I'm holding on to it? If I have a ball in my hand and I go to throw it and I don't let go, have I cast it? If I have a fishing reel and I'm holding on to the fishing line and I want to cast it and I never let go with my finger, is it going anywhere? The only way I can cast something is to let go of the control, which means I have to take this thing and throw it. Peter's answer for how we deal with worrying and anxiety is to throw it. You weren't meant to hold it. 
You weren't meant to, to fix it. You weren't meant to think about it or to help. You were meant to throw it because you can't do anything about it. Which means if we're going to live out this truth that Peter is talking about, then the fears and the worries of our life, we have to throw at the foot of Jesus and let go. And not then go back and pick it back up later and go, okay, I'll walk back away with this one. No, let it go. It wasn't yours to hold in the first place. Ah, but how often do we live this? Here's what, here's what Paul had to say about that. Let me just uh, jump ahead here. Uh, this is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, oh, this line, with thanksgiving, wow, present your requests to God. And then this is the part that gets me every single time. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? Guard. Wait a minute. What, what is a guard for? What does a guard do? A guard protects. So if we're looking at this lion that is seeking to destroy us, what Paul tells us is that as we present our request to God, the presence of God evidenced in his peace in our life does what? It guards us. It protects us from that lion that wants to isolate and pull us away. So if we're living in authentic trust versus worry, when we're living in trust, his presence guards so you want to live this out? Do you want to live free from worry? Then it's time to present our requests to God and to cast them out. Are you ready to take a step of faith and do just that? Because it's a lot easier said than done. See, our action steps today are, are twofold. First, maybe you're in a place where you're ready to start encountering God in entering into a righteous relationship with him to start living out kingdom in your life. Maybe you've never done this. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as yours. Well, now's the time. Today, right now, not tomorrow, not the next day, now. Don't wait. This front of a stage here we use as an altar and it's a merely an opportunity for you to make a commitment before him that carries for your life and if this is you today and you're saying yes I need to fix this vertical relationship so that my horizontal can be correct then I encourage you to take an action step and say yes Jesus I'm yours the second place that I'd like to encourage us as a point of action and this is for many of the other rest of us Maybe it's not you, but maybe it is. Is that I'd like to encourage you, if you have worry and anxiety, you don't have to walk out the doors with it. So what I'm going to encourage you to do right now is something that is intentional. There's some uh, paper and some pens on the platform here. What I'd like to encourage you to do is to walk up to write on this page the things that are filling you with worry and anxiety. And I'm gonna invite you to pray about these things, to present them to God as we've talked about. And then I'd like to encourage you to crumple this thing up 
and to cast it on him. Now, here's what I'm going to promise you. If you do this this morning, if you make this, mo- this bold move to write some anxiety on here and to throw it in here, tomorrow morning, I guarantee Satan will take that thing and say, yeah, you'd better pick that back up. Yeah, you, you know, you, you probably should try to do something about that. My encouragement to you is this. Surrender, trust, obey. Because it's only in here can we live free of worry and in the strength of our Jesus. So would you be willing to make a step this morning to to cast your worry and not pick it back up? We're just going to spend a moment here, give you some opportunity. Jesus, we just give you free reign here. We just ask that you do what you want to do.